I love the way God works through those things, through, through Joe sharing, through Neil sharing, and now knowing that we're heading into the book of Ruth, which is going to be a six-week series that we're in. Really a beautiful story dealing with God's faithfulness, His provision. It, it, it's incredible how that works. And we want to give you, as we begin this series this morning, just a kind of a 30,000-foot overview of what's taking place here so that you can get a, a feel for the, the uh, setting that's here, the characters that are involved, the cultural nuances that are taking place, all of those things. And so let's begin this. Check out the screen for this 30,000-foot view. The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. 
Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, but not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. 
And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. All right, so a lot of information in just a couple of minutes, but trust me, we're going to be spending the next six weeks going through some of these things to make more sense out of it. What we really want to see as we walk through this amazing book is that you're going to continue to discover that, that our extraordinary God is all throughout the story of ordinary people. And so I want to kick things off today by starting in chapter 1 and reading the first seven verses. If you have your Bibles with you, we can open to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. It's towards the beginning of your Bibles in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long, so it's tucked in there. Um, but, but let's read these together. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Now let's see if we can get these names right. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malin and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. So we see in these first seven verses, the, the two main characters of this story are introduced, Naomi and Ruth. And we see that this story, it begins with tragedy, it begins with loss, it begins with hurt and pain. I mean, Naomi loses her husband, Elimelech, and then later, Ruth and her sister, uh, Oprah, Orpah, not Oprah, get that right, Orpah, they lose their husbands, which were also Naomi's sons. A lot of loss going on here. You can imagine the hurt and the pain that this family would be feeling. And so next week, we're going to look closer at the depths of Naomi's pain in the rest of chapter 1, and we're going to actually look at how we can express our suffering through the gift of lament. So I want to encourage you this week, read the rest of chapter 1 at home so that you'll be all ready to go next week when we talk about it. But for the rest of our time today, I want to focus on verse 1 and verse 6 and 7. And I'm going to do this for a couple of reasons. One is because this, these verses really set the stage for the entire book of Ruth, but also because it shows us, these verses show us how intimately God is involved in our lives, even when we can't see him. He's involved in our lives, even when we can't see him. So if you have your Bibles again, and maybe a pen or a pencil, let's look at verse 1 together once again. And it says this, In the days 
When the judges ruled in Israel, I'm going to encourage you and give you permission. Go ahead and write in your Bibles, underline, judges ruled in Israel. And if you don't have a Bible, um, we have some on the racks in the back of this room. I'm going to say, uh, if you don't have one to use, take one of those home. Make that your Bible. You can have it. Just bring it back next week. Use it as much as you want. But that is, that is your Bible if you do not have one. Um, Anyway, the judges ruled in Israel, underline that. And a severe famine came upon the land. I underline severe famine because these are two key things that are happening here. It says, so a man, Elimelech from Bethlehem and Judah, he left his home. That is a key that we're going to look at, that he left his home and he went to live in the country of Moab. I actually circled Moab because I didn't know much about Moab. I needed to find more about that. I had some questions about Moab, so I circled it. And he took his wife, Naomi, and two sons with him. Now, we're unsure of who wrote Ruth. We don't know the author, but what we do know is that this author wants us to know right away that this story takes place in a really difficult time in Israel's history. Because we notice here in verse 1 that the story takes place right as the judges are ruling Israel. Now, if you don't know, the preceding book to Ruth is the book of Judges. Now, now, this is key because this is a time in Israel's history when, when there were no kings, when, when people didn't want to follow God and be led by Him. They didn't want to follow godly leaders, and so they were led by a group called Judges. Now, how did this turn out? I can suppose you can imagine. It was chaos. It was chaos everywhere. In fact, the very last book of the, verse of, of the book of Judges tells us before we get to Ruth that in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Ruth's story falls smack dab in the middle of when God's people had a blatant disregard for his leadership and his ways. In walks the story of Ruth. These years of the judges were a jet black time for Israel. Ruth's story here is a diamond against that darkness because it's a story of hope, of grace, of provision. And if things weren't bad enough, the second thing we underline was it was a time of famine in Bethlehem. Some commentators believe that, that this famine was a result of the devastation from all the chaos going on. But this famine was so bad that it affected families to the point where they, they had to move. They were moving away to go find food because they had nothing to eat. We can gloss over these details, but the thing that's important is to know that Elimelech moved his family, his wife Naomi, to a land called Moab. Now, don't gloss over this because Moab we need to understand a little bit about. Moab is an enemy of Israel. Moab was filled with people that were worshiping idols. They weren't following the Lord. In fact, they were turning away from the Lord. God warned his people to stay away from Moab. He told his people, don't marry Moabites. He told them this. I... Which makes me wonder, why did Elimelech and Naomi go there in the first place then? I suppose if you're a parent in this room, you can have some kind of a soft heart. I mean, his family needed food. 
They were hungry. He was going to where there was food. I can understand that. But God said, don't go to Moab. Why did they go? What was he thinking? I mean, Elimelech's name means my God is king. So where was his trust in that king, his God? I, I, like his countrymen, Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes. He, he disobeyed. He moved his family away from the promised land. He moved them away from God toward the idol-worshiping land of Moab. He moved them toward food, yes, but he moved them away from God. And then 10 years passed. Don't gloss over this 10 years because a lot happens in 10 years. Elimelech died. And Naomi is left a, a widow. And then during that time, her two sons died. You know, we hear these things, right? And, and I think we can have a heart for what this woman must have been going through. I mean, she lost her husband. She lost her two sons all within just a few years. She had to have been devastated. I mean, she's fragile. She's grieving. She's a childless widow now living in a foreign land that's not even her home. All she has connected to her are her two uh, daughters-in-laws who are also widows. This, is, this would have been so hard. And I wonder, what, what would you do if you were Naomi in this situation? Well, the reality is here, we've, all of us have been to Moab of sorts. All of us have. We've all turned our backs on God from time to time. We've all suffered consequences of, of doing what was right in our own eyes. We've all experienced life. We've experienced life falling apart. We've experienced loss, fear, pain, frustration. We've experienced all these things. And it's so often easy to wonder in those times, have I gone too far? Have I wandered so far away from God that there's no possible way he'll ever take me back? I've wondered that. Or I've wondered even, where are you, God, in this? What, are you listening Lord, do you even care about me right now? I've wondered these questions. And then we humble ourselves and we turn to God and we ask for help, but then it doesn't seem like he's listening. Well, he's not doing anything. He doesn't care. This is one way to look at the story. That these bad things happen and God just doesn't care. That, but what if the sole purpose of this book of Ruth is to completely disprove this theory. That even though it seems like God's not there, the fact is that he is intimately involved in the background orchestrating things in our lives for the good, even when it doesn't feel good. We call this way of God's involvement in our lives, we call it God's providence. Now, I'm going to even encourage you in your Bibles, along the edge of these seven verses, write those words, God's providence. Because providence means to provide. It means provision. And we see this all throughout the story of Ruth, of God's providence, his intimate involvement in, the, in their lives and in the world, even when we can't see him. In fact, this author defines providence like this, and I'm going to borrow what he says that God is there, God cares, God rules, and God provides. Faith in such a God undergirds every chapter of Ruth. Providence isn't just throughout the book of Ruth, it's throughout the entire Bible. 
And it doesn't stop there. It's throughout our entire lives today as well. What we're going to notice in the book of Ruth is that God never speaks directly to any of the characters, which always surprises me. And yet, even though he doesn't speak directly to the characters, you can't help but notice that he is involved in the background of Ruth's story when real intimate waves weaving together tragedy and loss and hurt and chaos in ordinary lives. He's weaving it all together to produce something that will make us see, like this author said, that God is there. He is real. He cares. He rules and he provides. The diamond is going to shine here. And then we go to verses 6 and 7, where we really see the first taste of God's providence. And it says this, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people. I underline that in my Bible. Go ahead and underline that. He says, by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. I underline lead them back to Judah. Such keys to these verses. Because in verse 1, all you can see is chaos, famine, hurt, no God anywhere in sight. We can't see him anywhere, and things seem hopeless. But then we get to verse 6. And when we get to verse 6, we see his provision. We see his presence in a real way. In fact, in our Bibles here that we use at the chapel, we use a translation called the NLT, which means the New Living Translation. And in this translation, it says the Lord blessed his people, which he did. He, he ended the famine. He provided food. But I love the ESV translation. That means the English Standard Version, because in that translation, it says the Lord had visited his people. In other words, even though it's hard to see God, he is intimately involved within his creation. He's present in everything. We just have to open our eyes to see. And of course, because of God's providence, Naomi and Ruth, they move back to their homeland. Ruth meets somebody named Boaz, and then the course of history is changed forever. We're not going to go down that road this week because that's coming up in a couple weeks. But I, what, what gets me, truly, as I read this story this week, I studied this story this week, I prayed through this story this week, I, I, I spent time, and as I did, all I could think was, all of us in this room have a story like Ruth's. Maybe not with all the loss that she's felt, but each and every one of us has made decisions that has pushed us away from God. We've all made decisions and had chapters in our lives when we've doubted, when we've struggled, even when we were angry with God. All of us have been there. I think about those moments in my own life and, and moments like, like when I made the decision to move my family to Florida for a job that turned out to be no good. And then while we were there, without consulting the Lord, I bought a house that we couldn't afford, which led us down a spiral of fear and destruction. I, it was one thing after another. And then we come home, and, I, and, and at that time I lost a friend in a house fire that was set by somebody trying to collect insurance money. 
All these things happening in my life, and, and truly, just like you, I wondered, God, where are you? What is going on? Do you even care right now? I question him the same as you do. But I'm here to say this encouragement to you. It is hard to see God when we are in the middle of those chapters of our lives. It's hard to see him. But looking back now, looking back now, I, I could see his providence weaving through my life in amazing ways. I saw his providence showing up through the care of my family, through the care of friends, through the care of a church family. I saw his providence show up in unexplainable ways. There was, there was food on the table. Our needs were met. We found comfort during hurt. We found rest during chaos. We found hope during hopelessness. God's presence, his providence is weaved throughout my life over and over again. I have seen it, and I have seen it in your lives too. My encouragement today is you've got to keep on because he's there and he cares. One of the first verses I ever memorized when I started following Jesus was this one in Psalm 91. It says, this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. I trust him. Let me say this as I close. I don't know what chapter of the story you're on in your life. I don't know if it's going to be a long chapter. I don't know if it's going to be a short chapter. I don't know. But I do know this, that God is going to somehow weave these chapters together to do something incredible. He's going to take your sorrows, your joys, your losses, your wins, your relationships. He's going to put all of those things together in such a way that you will see, without a doubt, that God cares. He rules, he provides, and he is here. I guess my question is, do we trust him? Do you trust him even when you can't see? That's God's providence. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for even some of the things that were shared. For Pray for Neil and Lindsay and and their little baby, Charlotte, Lord, and the things coming up in her life, pray for her. Lord, I pray for uh, people in this room right now. Lord, I know there's struggles, and I know there's doubts, and I know there's things. But Lord, I know that you work through all of that. Lord, forgive me for those moments I've questioned you and I've doubted. That I've, that I've questioned your care and your love for me. How crazy that God who sent his son to die for me and I've questioned your love. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, help us to follow you this week. Help us to be more like you this week. Thank you for your providence in our lives. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, we'll see you next week for Ruth chapter one and a half next week.